0: For the uh, Easter breakfast to work, you can uh, see Dave Nickel. And he'd be glad to put you down for something. In Second Peter chapter two, our attention is directed to three examples from the past of the awesome divine judgment of God upon sin, judgment upon. Angels who tried to basically demonize the whole human race prior to the flood of Noah's day. Judgment upon the human race that was destroyed by the flood, except for Noah and his family. Contemplate that for a moment. The whole population of the globe wiped out, except for eight people. Uh, God takes sin seriously. God does pour judgment out upon sin. And the third example was Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, destroyed by fire and brimstone with the exception of Lot and his daughters, and his wife made it out, but she looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. Our attention is directed to these examples of judgment to emphasize the certainty of God's judgment that is going to come upon false prophets and false teachers who speak lies, in the name of god these teachers who claim to speak from god ignore the holiness of god and turn the grace of god into a license to sin now it's one thing for sin to run rampant in our world which it has since the fall but it is something else again for men to speak in the name of god to sanction sin and say that God approves what he clearly says in his word, he condemns. We uh, had an example of that this week, this past week. The uh, Presbyterian Church, the United States of America, USA, uh, redefined marriage in their way of thinking to indicate that marriage doesn't have to be, shouldn't have to be between a a man and a woman, but could be uh, between people of the same gender as well that's a denomination now there's almost as many presbyterian denominations as are baptists so this is just one of the groups presbyterian church usa you probably heard it on the news this is a church saying that marriage can doesn't have to be man and a woman but can be people of the same gender it's a whole denomination putting their stamp of approval upon that in the name of god in the name of christ saying that there's nothing wrong with that at all, that perfectly acceptable. That denomination rejected the inerrancy of Scripture and the fundamentals of the faith years ago. And now look how far astray they've gone. They uh, are are not the only professing Christian group putting the stamp of approval on sin. Uh, We must most definitely live in a day like Peter's. Where evil is called good, and good is called evil. In fact, if you speak up in opposition to same-sex marriage, you're considered a bigot in this world. And that's something that's wrong, and you just shouldn't do. You live in a world where they call us good evil, and call evil good. And sadly, people do it in the name of God. These uh, examples of divine judgment seen at the flood and at Sodom show clearly that God does judge sin. Mike, you're going to have to hit it. This thing just died on me. Uh, There is, thank God, a a fourth example of judgment of God, and that's that's the cross. These examples show that, that God is able to judge sin and he's able to bestow grace upon those who will come to him in faith, and that's effective because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Christ paid the penalty for our sin, and offers us the wonderful gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Second uh, Peter chapter two verse nine says that God knows perfectly who should be reserved for judgment and who should be delivered in His grace. You and I aren't like God. We don't know the hearts of men. We don't know who really is a believer and who is not a believer. But uh, we can be thankful that uh, god gives us a description in his word of false teachers so that we can recognize false teachers that we are exhorted in scripture to uh, beware of to absolutely reject them and their teaching and even to expose them Uh, if you have your bibles invite you to turn with me to second peter chapter two starting in verse nine where it says then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries or glories. whereas angels who are, are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They've forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, to whom the the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in here. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. You find that God always judges sin rightly he knows who to judge he knows who not to judge and he gives us a, a picture of so we can recognize who these false teachers are how, how do you recognize them? Well, you, you see their arrogance you see their affection for the world in particularly sexual lust and greed you see their absence of fruit they make great promises but don't deliver anything and lastly we recognize them by their apostasy the first three of those we're going to talk about this morning. And next Sunday we'll, we'll talk about the, the matter of apostasy and what's involved in that. When we think about the arrogance, we find that these false teachers are, are, are seen in their despising of authority. As it says in verse 10, uh, they despise authority. That term authority literally means lordship. They, they don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't recognize any authority over them, and in particular, they do not recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. They might say Christ is a the Savior. They might say a lot of good things about Jesus, but when it comes to also recognizing that he wants to be lord of our lives and give us victory over sin, uh, they don't want to submit to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, they blaspheme dignitaries dignitaries in the human realm, and they blaspheme God himself, and they also would blaspheme angels as well, and we see all kinds of examples of that. One of the things you find out with, with a lot of the cult leaders is they will, they will, will speak evil and, and, and condemn, really, uh, great Christian teachers and leaders from, from basically the whole history of the church, and some of these guys say that, it, that God has called them to straighten everybody else out. Joseph Smith, who is the founder of the Mormon group, uh, felt really all other churches, all other groups had gone totally astray, and it was up to him to straighten out the whole world. He had no respect whatsoever for any of the great Christian teachers down through the years, and didn't have much respect for the Bible, and and said that God had to give him a whole new book to write when he put, put out his Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price, upon which Mormonism is found. You find that with other cults. If you just study their history, uh, no respect for other human beings. They, they blaspheme God himself. In fact, they blaspheme God in that they don't preach the Jesus of the Bible. They don't preach the God of the Bible. They kind of come up with a, a God of their, their own ideas and, and a Jesus that, that they like. And they like certain things about him, other things they, they just totally reject. They, they worship a Jesus they don't see as being God many times. You see jesus who was just a just a man just a good example just a a, a good teacher and so that, that's blasphemy and, and they also even speak in in blasphemous and, and totally disrespectful ways even to other angelic and angelic beings back we have today people that want to order satan around and demons around you know they they they, they try to bind demons and cast demons out and and tell Satan what, what he can do and what he can't do. You know what? That's kind of a dangerous thing to do. You know The, 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 the angels are, are greater in power than what we are, even fallen angels. Satan himself is greater in power than we are. And in fact, it gives an example here. It says even the holy angels were, are careful in the way that they deal with these fallen angels. We get an example of that. If you're in Second Peter, go over just a few books to the book of Jude. book of Jude, verses 8 and 9, basically a parallel passage of what we have here in 2 Peter 2, says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, yet Michael the archangel, highest rank of angel there is, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring at Bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Uh, We don't know all that was involved in here, but there was some type of a battle over the body of Moses between the devil and the archangel Michael. Uh, The devil probably wanted to take Moses' body and maybe even try to bring it back to the people of Israel to make it an object of worship. But when Moses died, God had him go off by himself. And then God buried him. The children of Israel wanted to go out and look for that body, and they were told by Joshua, "Don't do it." You know, God said we're not supposed to do that. But but the devil, I'm sure, had some type of a plan. But Michael the archangel is used by God to come in and deal with the devil. But even Michael the archangel doesn't try to deal with the devil on his own. But what's he say? The Lord rebuked you. I'll tell you what, you start dealing with demons, you start dealing with Satan. We better be depending on the strength and the person of Almighty God, not depending upon ourselves in any way, shape, or form. There's a place for respecting strength and power and recognizing that it is there. These uh, false teachers are, are pictured here as having having uh, no spiritual perception. It says that they're like, they're like beasts. They're like unreasoning animals. In fact, they, they act that way. That's kind of interesting that, that those who reject the Bible... And biblical creation, uh, want to say that man is basically a beast. You know, we're just a highly a a highly evolved form of life. You know, we're we're just a little higher on the chain than what a what a dog is or an ape is, and and there's there's nothing different about human beings. And so, is it any wonder when people are taught that they just act like beasts? They they, they don't try to restrain their their baser nature. They don't try to have any morality. It's really kind of a terrible thing when you look at that that kind of a picture. When the Bible tells us there's a big difference between you and me as human beings and the beast that that God put on this earth. For one thing, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And yes, we have different drives and different natural instincts and things like that, but we don't have to be controlled by them the way an animal does. We can be controlled by the image of God working in us and through us whenever we come into a relationship with God. Last thing that's pointed out about these false teachers and the matter of their arrogance, they walk in arrogance, is that they will face utter destruction. That's according to verse 2. It says they talk about things they don't understand and they will utterly perish in their own corruption, exalt themselves up in their pride, well, what's God say he's going to do with the proud? God says, I'll bring down the proud, and I'll exalt the humble. So the first thing we note about false teachers is their, their arrogance. When people exalt themselves above the Scriptures, and they exalt themselves above above Christ himself, they exalt themselves above other authorities that God's placed in, in their lives, and they just want to do things their way, a sign that somebody just might be a false teacher. In fact, one of the marks of of the cults is a lot of times they think they're the only ones that have the truth. They're it. That's it. Well, we we know well enough in in our church here that there's other churches around here, folks, that are preaching the gospel. We're not the only ones. You know what? I'm thankful for them. Those other churches that are preaching the gospel, we're not in competition with. We, We rejoice with them. We can fellowship with them and thank God for what's going on. But well, one of the marks many times, these arrogant false teachers, they're the only ones. You have to see things their way, go their direction. The other thing is we see their affection for the world. These false teachers are marked by, by having a, an affection for the world. that They want to live in an ungodly lifestyle. It talks here about their, their, their sensuous living. Verse 13, they, they they'll receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Sinning shamelessly. You know, there, there are times that people sin, and they're ashamed of it. I, I hope that you're in that category. I'm in that category. I, I don't stand before you as one who professes that I, I don't sin. I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Every Christian is a sinner saved by grace. Thank God for that grace that makes it possible for us to be saved. But if a person's a genuine believer and they sin, what kind of an impact does that have upon you? Are you convicted by the Spirit of God? Are you ashamed of the sin that comes into your life? I hope so, because if you're not, if you sin and you're not convicted by the Holy Spirit, if you can sin and there's no shame connected with your sin, then it might be an indication you really don't have a relationship with Christ at all. But a person's a believer that when they sin there's that that conviction of the spirit and and the shame over over what we've done wrong and you, you read david's confessions back in psalm 32 and and psalm 51 and yeah he had sinned grievously with with Bathsheba and, and against uriah but god worked him over big time and there was a shame in it well one of the things we see among these false teachers so many times is there are there's bold-faced sin, walking in blatant, open immorality, and there's no shame for it. They sin in the broad daylight, carry on an a ungodly, lustful lifestyle, and that there's no shame that comes along with it. And that they, it says here that they also still continue to claim to have an association with the church. As They receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. But they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. These false teachers still want a connection with the Christian church. They still want to even use the name of Christ. And it says here, they are a blemish. And a, they mar the testimony of Christ says they they go out and they they live in utter corruption yet they still want to eat with you in fact it talks about feasting with you and that may be a a description of the love feast that they celebrated many times in the first century church in connection with communion and what a contradiction if if you're going to live for sin then live for sin and face your judgment but uh, sadly many people want to say that that they're living for Jesus And at the same time, they're living for their sin. And there's just a horrible dichotomy there. What a a contradiction. And that's a a blemish on the Christian church. And sadly, there are false teachers, false prophets walking around this world today that are a a blemish on genuine Christianity and on the gospel. Uh, A love for this world and the things of this world consumes them. Verse 14 says their eyes are... Are full of adultery and they can't cease from sinning and they they lead other people astray they beguile unstable souls they work on on new believers or they work on those that are very unstable in their their walk with the Lord and it says they have a heart that that's trained in in covetous practices they got a heart that's trained in greed The, the picture here is these false teachers and their sensual practices they, they go astray in, in two particular areas. One is sexual immorality, and the other is greed. You look at some of the f- things that are going on in the lives and the, 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 the followings of, of many of these false teachers today, and connected with it is sexual immorality, and there is greed. Some of these false teachers have a very lavish, luxurious lifestyle. I just read about a guy who wanted folks to contribute. I forget the guy's name right now, but... Uh, they want a teacher claims the name of Christ uh, is on through media, TV, radio, internet, whatnot, and he wants contributions so he can buy himself a Lear jet that he can use in his ministry. He just thinks he needs to have a Lear jet that he can use in his ministry there for for himself, basically the whole thing. But uh, what a phrase here! Trained hearts that are trained in in greed, trained in covetous practices. And it goes on gives the example of Balaam. Balaam's a great example of these false teachers and false prophets. Because that's what Balaam was. He was a false prophet. But he claimed to be a, a true prophet of God. He claimed to, to speak from God. In fact, some of the things that he spoke, uh, some amazing things. that Somehow the Lord even used this false prophet to get some things recorded about the coming of the Messiah. We find Balaam and his story back in Numbers chapter 22 and then finishes up in, in Numbers 31. Basically, uh, ba- Balaam was uh, enlisted by a, a fella by the name of Balak who wanted to destroy the Israelites. He was afraid the Is- Israelites were going to be a, a threat to him and his people. So he calls Balaam, who has a reputation for being a prophet, and he says, I want you to come. And I want you to pronounce curses upon the Israelites. And, and Balaam, he, he goes to the Lord and he seeks God's will as to whether God would have him do this. You know, there, there are some things you don't have to seek God's will about. You know, if, if I don't have to seek God's will to figure out if I've got to come in here and teach you things that aren't in the Bible. I don't have to seek God's will to say, okay, should I teach these people that, that God's word isn't true? I don't have to seek God's will about that. Why? Because I know what God's will is. God doesn't want me to teach things that are false. He wants me to teach the truth of his word. And Balaam did not really need to seek God's will as to whether he should go and curse Israel or not, did he? Well, he wants to go anyway. You know why he wants to go? Because he's being promised a nice sum of money. if He does that. And he wants the money. And so he wants to go. And so God said, all right, go if you want. but But... He certainly didn't have his blessing upon him. And in fact, as Balaam's has gone, well, I think one of the, the neatest stories you have in Scripture. As he's going, he's trying to go through a narrow way, and it, the donkey he's riding on goes over and smacks his foot against the wall. And uh, he jumps off the donkey, and he's ready to kill the donkey. And the donkey speaks to him. And the donkey tells him that he saw an angel in front of him. Balaam, you should. You know, it's pretty bad when you got to be educated by a donkey. When you got to be taught by a donkey. And you're supposed to be a prophet of God? But this, this is Balaam. And why was he, why was he even wanting to do this? Because he had a heart that was trained for greed. And when he goes, finally, he stands up and he ends up instead of pronouncing curses upon Israel, God works through him. And he pronounces blessings upon Israel. And Balak doesn't like that very well. Oh, well, Balaam still wants the money. And, and God won't allow him to curse Israel. All he can do anytime he opens his mouth is, is bless Israel. And so he calls Balak aside and he says, Hey, I got a plan. Why don't you send some of your women into the camp of the Israelites and get them to seduce the Israelites? And then God will have to. Well, that's what happened. He uses sexual immorality against the Israelites. And we find that, that it was kind of an effective thing that, that Balak and his men used against the Israelites. And then if you go to chapter 31 in, in the book of Numbers, you find out that, that Balaam ends up being killed by the sword. He's judged by God. But he's a picture of false prophets. False prophets that, that are Have hearts trained for greed. False prophets that want to use immorality. And that's the example of Baal. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He gets rebuked by a a donkey. He helps Baal to seduce Israel. And he ends up being judged by God physically. But that's not the end of it. One of these days, he'll be judged by God eternally. You find the other thing about these false prophets is the absence of their fruit. We have an example from nature here. In verse 17, the example is this. There's a place that needs rain. Now, we've had times in here in the summertime when the crops are kind of withering in the field and we we desperately need rain and you see clouds off in the distance, nice dark clouds. Oh, man, it's going to be great. Look at those dark clouds. It's going to rain. And then the wind comes through. Just kind of... Blows the clouds away, and you get no rain. That's these false prophets. They promise these people things. They, they promise them, in particular, freedom of listen to us, follow us, and we'll give you freedom. You'll have liberty if you follow us. And one of the things they do is they approve sexual immorality. They tell people it's okay. It's all right to, to go against the biblical teaching about sexual morality. Verse 18 says, For when they speak great, swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who actually escape from living in air." They, they tell people, just do what you want to do. You know what? That's a popular message for people to hear. You know, in, in fact, you know, anytime you're told, just do what you want to do, that that's appealing to kids. You know, child comes to mom, well, what should I have for breakfast? Mom says, have anything you want to. You, know, you want cookies? You want candy? You want ice cream? You know, go ahead. Have it. Hey, you're the greatest mom in the world. You know, let me do that. Well, grow up a little more and... and Teenager got the car. What time should I be home? Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, stay out as long as you want to. Well, what friends should I? Oh, it doesn't matter. Pick any friends that you want to to run with. Wow, you really try. Boy, you're telling me all kind of great things here, and I'm going to have freedom. I can go wild. What happens to people that run wild like that? They usually end up destroying their lives. What's a loving parent do? What's a very necessary word for a loving parent? No. No. Our kids, when they were small, sometimes thought their first name was no. You you want to play with that outlet? No. No, you want to use that knife over there and and play with that? No. Why did we tell them no? No. Because we, we love them. And for a parent that just lets a child do anything that they want to, whether a young child or a teenager or whatever, that is not love. It leads them to destruction. And these teachers, these false teachers come along and say, just follow your natural desire. Just follow your inclination. It's okay with God. God wants you to be happy. God made you that way, so just go, go ahead and follow that. You know what? God didn't make us that way. Yeah, we are born sinners. But why is that? It's because we are part of a fallen race. And we have a bent towards sin. And most of us have problems, you know, we have different areas of sin that we might be attracted to. Some things we don't have any problem with. Some things that are areas of sin we might really struggle with. But the thing to do is not say, well, the, the sin that I'm, bo- bo- I'm bent towards, that's not sin at all. That's, that's not right. But we got teachers in the world that are teaching that very thing, and, and God condemns that. They promise liberty. Do whatever you want. you got freedom in Christ. That's what grace is all about. Just do what you want to. While the Bible still teaches there are some things that are right, There are things that are wrong, and those things haven't changed. Some people say they want to bring the Bible into the 21st century. Well, man, we need the Bible in the 21st century. But we need it as it is. We don't need to try to change it. And the sad thing is these people that promise liberty, what do they do? They're in bondage themselves, basically. And they lead others into bondage as well. It says in verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, or whatever a person has overcome them, by him also he's brought into bondage. Now, where is true liberty? Where is true liberty? True liberty is in Christ, right? And having a real relationship with Christ. Only Jesus sets us free. He tells us himself. If we have the Son, what? We are, we're free. We're free indeed. We're really free. We have what liberty is all about. Liberty in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want. Go any direction we want to. Freedom in Christ is rather the ability that God gives to us to do what we should do. What God made us to do. What he programmed us to do. And to, to want to do it because we love Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it great to be able to want to do good? Want to do right? Because we love the Lord. You know, my role as a preacher, and our role as a church is to continue to call sin what the Bible calls sin, and then to point people to the redemption that there is in Christ. It's not enough for us as a church, and me as a preacher, to stand up and and call sin, sin. And tell people what's wrong. And tell people that they're sinners. That's only part of the message. What's the gospel message? The gospel message is this. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And the good news is, if we will repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, we will receive forgiveness, eternal life, a new nature, a changed life and an eternal home in heaven. That's the gospel. That's the message that I'm supposed to preach. That's the message we as a church, we as a church are supposed to declare to people. The message is not just to tell people your sins okay. It's all right for you to feel that way. It's all right for you to live that way. You know, God loves you anyway. And God wants you to just be happy. You think that kind of a lifestyle is going to make you happy? Well, you go ahead and you go that direction. What happens when people follow that? They live in bondage. And they face the consequences of the destruction that comes along with their sin. What's the real message of love? Now, we would be accused of being unloving because we call sin, sin. We call sin what the Bible calls sin. That's the loving thing to do. To call sin what it is. But also to hold out to people the great hope that there is in our Savior from sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And If we'll do that, we offer people hope, real hope, forgiveness, freedom in Christ freedom from being dominated and enslaved by sin. But the ability to live a life that's not going to be destroyed by sin. The ability to live a life following the Lord Jesus Christ in this lifetime and for all of eternity. Heavenly Father, thank you for the relevance of Scripture. Thank you for the truthfulness of Scripture. Thank you for the message that's there. Thank you, Lord, for for warning us about about practices and ideas that, that will destroy our lives and will also cause people to end up in an eternal lake of fire. Father, we pray you'd help us to be faithful in carrying out the, the, the job that you have for us to do, continuing to, to call sin what it is, what you said to be sin, what you said to be wrong, what you condemn, to accept what you said there but also to share along with that father the good news of the gospel, that there's forgiveness, that repentance towards sin and faith in Christ. There's forgiveness. There's eternal life. There's freedom from being dominated by sin and the ability to live a life in Christ. Father, I pray if anybody's with us today that doesn't know Christ, they're bound in their sin today, I pray they'd see that they can have faith. Putting their trust in the Lord Jesus for this life and for all of eternity. I pray this in the Savior's name. Amen. You turn with me, please, to 372. When we come to know Christ, the life that he wants us to live is a life of living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not listening to the voices of the false teachers, but continuing to listen to the Lord and the word of God. Let's stand together while we sing. Living for Jesus. God, deal into your heart needed to talk to somebody about your sin about finding Christ as Savior glad to talk with you at the end of this service. living Father, help us to really make our hearts your throne through each day of this week. Help us to give you the lordship in our lives that you deserve. Glorify yourself.